0: Hey, as we get into the message this morning, I saw a shirt this past week uh, on my cousin's Instagram page that I thought uh, might be a helpful way to, to start and uh, something that you might resonate with. I am past the days when my kids were really young. I know some of you are still there, but uh, my son Josiah is going to turn nine next month, so we're officially out of the, uh, the very young stage, but especially for those of you who have kids in the toddler stage right now, I think you might resonate with this shirt. These are toddler rules. And so if you have a toddler, maybe this uh, this will seem about right. Rule number one, it's mine if I like it. Rule number two, it's mine if I think it's mine. Uh, number three, it's mine if it looks like mine. Four, it's mine if it's in my hand. Uh, five, it's mine if I can take it from you. That makes it mine. Uh, number six, it's mine if I had it for a while. Uh, seven, if, if, if it's mine if it's yours and I take it. Eight, it's mine if it's left at my house. How about that one? Then it becomes mine. Number nine, it's mine and it can't be yours in any way. And number 10, it is mine, mine, mine. Now, how many of you have experienced that mentality firsthand? Several of us, I'm sure, because if you've spent any amount of time around small children, you know uh, this is gonna come out in some way, shape, or form. And uh, let's be honest, it's kind of funny when it's words on a shirt Uh, It's kind of funny when it's someone else's kid, right? Not necessarily when it is our own. But what's less funny is the fact that a lot of people bring this mentality from young childhood into adulthood. And there's a lot of people in our world today, as we highlighted last week, that, that continue to live with an idea that, that having more, that gaining you know, more and more stuff, more and more money, more and more resources, that that's ultimately going to lead to a place of significance, a place of security or a place of satisfaction. And what we saw last weekend was that re- reality is, money is never going to do that for us. It was never intended to. the the only way that we're going to achieve security and satisfaction and significance in this life is to put our hope and our trust and our focus on Jesus Christ. And God tells us that the vehicle that will move us from here, that place of worry and frustration and disappointment, uh, the vehicle to move from here to there, is generosity. And we learned last weekend that generosity is not something that God wants from us. It's something that God wants for us because he knows what generosity will do in us. And so this morning, I want to continue to build on that thought and to talk about what it means to really get moving on the path of generosity. And I want to talk about the importance of being an intentional giver. This is where we become intentional about giving a certain amount of our income uh, each month back to God. And when I think about being an intentional giver, uh, there is an image that comes to my mind, and it's this. Some of you who grew up with me in the 80s, uh, you will remember this little white plastic church bank. If you grew up going to Sunday school, how many of you have seen this before, maybe even used one? Sure. Uh, I remember going to church at a young age, and I was given one of these in my Sunday school class. And you can see there's a slot in the top, there's a little plug in the bottom so you can get the money out. But uh, I brought one of these home from Sunday school. And my parents taught me at a very young age the biblical principle of tithing. And so if I got a dollar, 10 cents of it went in the plastic church bank. And then at the end of the week, Sunday would come around and we'd all bring our plastic church banks back in. We'd dump it on the table and uh, we would give our tithes and offerings. And I have to tell you that practice and learning at a young age what it means to be an intentional giver has made all of the difference in my life. Because it's a practice that has stuck with me and, uh, and my family now uh, throughout all of my life. And the reality is for us, being intentional givers, that's, that's a non-negotiable. We don't even think about other ways that we might be able to use that money. And I'm so thankful for parents who started me early on the path to generosity. But I know that for many of you, that was not the case. I know that there are many of you who didn't have that kind of upbringing. And I want, to, I want you to know this morning uh, that you can be the one. You can be the one who changes that for the generations to come behind you. Some of you are are moms and dads. You can change that perspective for your kids. Some of you are dreaming about the day when you'll have kids. Get this right now so that your kids will see this perspective in you and you'll give them an incredible head start in the area of generosity. And so to that end, I wanna show you where the idea of tithing came from. We're gonna look at the Old Testament and then I wanna look at Paul's words in the New Testament to help us get our heads around what it means to be an intentional giver So to get started, uh, we need to go all the way back to the very first book in the Bible. So if you brought your Bible with you this morning, you can turn to Genesis chapter 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. But Genesis 14, we're going to read about a man named Abraham. Now you're going to see his name as Abram and Abraham as we talk about him this morning. I just want you to know that's the same guy. He had two different names. God changed his name halfway through his story, but God tells Abraham that he will build a new nation of people through him. And it will be a people who will be set apart. It's the people we know now as the Israelites. And they were to live differently. They were to be the people of God. So Abraham followed God's call. He left his home and he heads toward the land that God had promised him. And in the process of settling this new land, Abraham's nephew, Lot, is kidnapped by some kings who had come to stir up trouble in the region. And so they have swept Lot away. Abraham finds out about this, and he goes after him. And uh, he catches up with the kings. They go to war with these kings. And Abraham wins the war, rescues his nephew Lot. And uh, in the process, he attains all of the spoils of war. And so he is traveling back with, with uh, all of, of what he has attained from the war. And we read this in verse 18. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And let's pause right there. Because there's some mystery around who this man, Melchizedek, is. Verse 18 tells us that he's the king of Salem. But no one really knows where Salem was in the ancient world. A lot of scholars have, uh, have different thoughts, different guesses. One of the best guesses, I think, is that Salem is modern-day Jerusalem. So it's possible that Melchizedek is the king of Jerusalem. And then we read that he's the priest of God Most High. But this also is a mystery because at this point in time, the temple of God had not yet been built. And it's Abraham's great-grandsons who will become the first priests in that temple and known as the priests of the God Most High. So how is it possible that Melchizedek already has this title when that doesn't happen for years yet down the road? It's part of the mystery. And finally, Melchizedek is never mentioned before this story, and other than a few references to this story, he's never mentioned again. So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at scripture this morning. We're going to come back to it. But as Abraham uh, returns, he's carrying the gold and the silver from the war that he's just fought. And Melchizedek is going to pronounce a blessing on him. Look at verse 19. It says, And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered you from your enemies, or who delivered your enemies into your hand. And so Melchizedek is is telling Abraham in this blessing, listen, Abraham, you didn't win that battle on your own strength. God did this for you. He is the one who delivered your enemies into your hand. God is the reason you were able to rescue your nephew Lot. God is the reason that now you are carrying all of this gold and silver back from war. And look at how Abraham responds in verse 20. It says, then Abraham gave him a 10th of everything. And right there in Genesis chapter 14 is the first example we have in Scripture of the tithe. And while there's a lot of mystery surrounding the person of Melchizedek, one thing is for sure. Abraham recognized him as a representative of the Lord Most High, and he gave him a tenth of everything to honor the Lord for his blessing. And this practice, this practice of the tithe, that became the expected practice for the nation of Israel. We read about it as we continue on in the Old Testament and uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, where God instructs his people that they are to bring a tenth of all he blesses them with back into the house of God. Now, we're not going to spend time to look at all of those Old Testament passages about tithing this morning, but I'm going to put some of them on the screen. And you're welcome to jot these down. I would encourage you to look them up. In your own time, uh, tithing in the Torah. But but this is kind of interesting. Kyle, can you go ahead and put that slide up there of the different passages? As you look at these passages and you read through some of this this week, scholars believe that represented here, represented in the Torah, are actually three different kinds of tithes. When we think about tithing, we think about the nation of Israel, we think about them giving a tenth of their income, right? And that certainly is what tithe means. But if it's true that there are three different kinds of tithes within the Torah, and there's reason to believe that there is, uh, two of those tithes were given annually, and one of them was given every third year. So it's it's likely there's reason to believe that the nation of Israel was actually giving away closer to 23.3% of their increase back to God. We don't know that for certain, uh, but it's an interesting uh, thing to consider. But here's the deal. These tithes became central to the practice of worship for Israel. God had commanded it, and, the, and they were a constant reminder to the people that everything they had was from God. And he was their provider. He was their sustainer. And so they honored him with these tithes and offerings that they brought. But over time, what you read in the Old Testament is that Israel began to neglect the commands to tithe. And it was this disobedience that God responded to through his prophet Malachi in one of the best-known passages on tithing. It's in Malachi chapter 3, and God says this in verse 7. He says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, and you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And God says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So God is calling his people to account, and he's calling them to repent or to return, as the text says. And they, they ask, well, how is it that we're to return? And God gives them a very specific example of their disobedience, their failure to give him the tithes. And God says that the sin of withholding those tithes is equivalent with robbery. He says I, i've required this of you i've made it clear it's in the law that you are to bring this into my house and yet you are you are neglecting this and by doing so you are robbing me and verse nine has a, an interesting phrase there it tells us that because of this the nation of israel was under a curse and to understand what that means we have to go back to the book of deuteronomy in chapter 28 in Deuteronomy 28, God makes it abundantly clear that He is going to bless Israel for their dis- or for their obedience, but that He will curse them for their disobedience. In Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14, those are blessings for obedience, but verses 15 through 65, those are curses for disobedience. And it, it's interesting. We've highlighted this before. It's on your note note page if you want to write it down. That God blesses obedience. Never disobedience. And certainly the nation of Israel, they learned this principle the hard way as they experienced all of the things God had warned them about in Deuteronomy 28. But here's the incredible thing. God didn't leave them in despair. He says in verse 7, If you return to me, I will return to you. Do what I've commanded and all of the blessings I've promised will be yours. And he gives them another promise in verse 10. Look at this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then listen to what he says next. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Do you realize that there are over 613 commands in the Torah for the nation of Israel? 613 of them, but of all of those commands, this command to tithe is the only one where God says, test me in this. See if I won't give you back so much that you won't even have room to store it. Now, when you read Deuteronomy 28, again, the list of blessings and curses, what you'll find there is that one of the curses listed has to do with blight and mildew and drought These were curses on Israel's ground and on their crops. See, the storehouses of Israel were empty because of their disobedience. There was no grain in them because the Israelites were not bringing in the tithe. So God did what he said he would do. He cursed the land, but he says, return to me, be faithful to my command, and those empty storehouses will be full of grain. Again, So that's the Old Testament backdrop to tithing. We see it first practiced from Abraham to Melchizedek. We then see the tithe codified in the law, in the Torah. And then we see that Malachi, several hundred years later, reaffirms the tithe to the nation of Israel who had been neglecting it. Now, some of you know that Malachi contains the final words of the Old Testament, And to my knowledge, we don't really know if Israel followed through on God's call to return, on his call to test me in this. We don't have any scripture written after Malachi for around 400 years. That's when the gospel accounts are recorded. But I want to show you what I believe is the New Testament equivalent to Malachi 3.10. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, It's written by Paul, who, remember, was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, so he was known for for perfectly keeping the law. And so he knew the Torah. He certainly knew this passage in Malachi, but he also had come to faith in Jesus. And so he had experienced God's grace and his mercy and his compassion. And in light of that, here's what Paul said to the Corinthians, and I believe to you and I. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 7. Paul says, each of you should give What you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this isn't the first time that Paul has addressed the Corinthian believers. In his first letter to them in chapter 16, he instructed these same people to take an offering when they came together on the first day of each week. And that's why today in the Christian church, we continue this practice. We take up an offering on the first day of each week. And it's why at Genesis Church, uh, we celebrate. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. And so we celebrate that when we take up an offering. But Paul also reminds these believers, he writes, to them each of you should give notice that it's a personal instruction to everyone in the church Paul expected every single follower to give financially to the work of the gospel but here's what's interesting about the Corinthian church it was full of all kinds of people And some of those people uh, were very well off, they had a lot, and some of those people were less well off, some of them having very little. But Paul doesn't tell them all to give the same amount, does he? Nowhere does he tell them everyone should give exactly the same thing, but rather he just expects them to give something. And so he tells them to make an intentional decision about their giving. He doesn't want anyone giving reluctantly or out of guilt, but to make a decision based on their trust in God. And that's reflected in his next words. Look at verse 8. Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And notice that he's kind of highlighting the principle that we talked about before, that God blesses obedience. When we are obedient to God's command to be generous, he desires to bless us in that. And so I believe the question for those early church believers is the same as it was for the the nation of Israel back in Malachi 3, and it's the same question for you and I today. The question is this, do we believe that God is able to bless us abundantly and provide for all of our needs? Do we believe that? A lot of us say that, but do we really believe it? Do we believe, do I believe that God is able to bless me abundantly and provide for all of my needs? Or do I believe that that responsibility rests squarely on my shoulders? Because if it's up to you to provide for yourself, then it makes sense for you not to be an intentional giver. In fact, it makes sense for you to hang on to every single penny as tightly as you possibly can. But if we truly believe that God is our provider, and again, so many times we we say that, we allude to that, but if, if he really is, if we really believe that he's our provider, doesn't it make sense that we would have a plan for giving back to him both intentionally and generously? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each of you, every person in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ should give, that is to contribute financially to the ministry of the gospel, and then what you have decided in your heart. And I want you to notice those four words, what you have decided. And can I just ask you a question this morning? Have you decided anything about what you'll give. I mean, have you ever taken time to think through that decision because that's the challenge today? That really is the challenge today. Hear me on this. The challenge is to be intentional because so often here's, what's, here's what happens and I get it. I mean, we're all busy, right? We all have a ton of things going on and so, you know, stuff's fighting for brain space and we're getting the kids ready, getting ourselves ready, getting to church, trying to get in here on time. And, uh, and we get in here and we likely never have even given a second thought to what we're going to give in the offering. And all of a sudden it's time and here comes the bag. And so it's like, uh, OK, there you go. Right. And, and so I think what we have to do is to look at that and to say, that's not intentional giving. Right. And it's certainly not cheerful giving. Can I give you some suggestions on what intentional giving might involve? And these are on your notes page if you want to write them down. The first is this. It might involve prayer. I think it needs to involve us praying, that we would take some time to come before the Lord and to ask him, God, what what would you like for me to give back to you? I mean, Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken time to, to pray and just say, God, what amount would honor you? what do you desire? It's all yours. I'm yours. What do you want from me? What percentage of my income, what amount would best display my faith and my trust in you? And so we have to pray. Secondly, I think the word communicate is important. If you're married, you need to talk with your spouse. If you're single, maybe talk with a friend who is walking with you on your spiritual journey, someone who will encourage you and hold you accountable. Don't do this in isolation if you don't have to, but, but do it rather with, with someone else. Being on the same page with giving is really important. If you have kids, include them in this decision. Sit down and, and show them what it's going to mean for your family to intentionally give. And then third, I think being intentional means we have to evaluate. Evaluate. Look at your spending and see what your money is going toward. Maybe you track your spending in a, a budget or a budgeting app. Um, maybe you're not the best at doing that, and so maybe it's just looking up your bank statement and seeing, okay, where where are my dollars going, and what is essential and what is non-essential, and where are some areas that I might be able to free up some resources to become an intentional giver. And then finally, decide, decide in your heart what you'll give. And then give it cheerfully. You, you've prayed, you've communicated, you've evaluated where your money is going, and now you're able to decide and you're able to give cheerfully. Have you ever taken the time to do something like this? If not, that's, that's the challenge this week, is simply to be intentional, is simply to go to the Lord and, and to decide. And I'm confident that God wants, us, wants to take us from here, this place of worry and frustration and feeling unfulfilled fulfilled to, to there, the place of finding our security in him, our significance in him, our satisfaction in him. And I believe that for many of us, becoming an intentional giver is the next step on that journey. And, you know, oftentimes I'll, I'll have people ask me, well, can you, can you just tell me how much? Like, I, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Just tell me. And the truth is, I, I can't. I mean, it's, it's between you and the Lord. But if I were to suggest something, I always suggest the same thing. Why not give tithing a chance? Why not give it a try? I, I told you before, I, I'm a tither. I found great blessing in that. And so Beth and I actually give above and beyond a tithe to, to other missionaries and ministries and people who are in need. But we tithe to Genesis Church. And we do it because I I love the way that it connects our giving to the story of the Old Testament. I love the way that it reminds me of the way that God has provided both for me and my family, but also all the ways that I see him provide in scripture for so many people who have put their trust in him. And so I I heard a speaker say this one time, and and it was helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you as well. But he said, I'd rather live on 90% with God's blessing than 100% without it. And that just really summed the whole thing up for me. Like just that picture of, God, I I desire your blessing more than I desire an extra 10% of of income. I'd rather live on 90% with God's blessing than 100% without it. And we understand that 10%, it's a great starting point, but it's not the finish line. We're going to talk about the finish line uh, next weekend. But the challenge this week is to be intentional. And for some of us, 10% really isn't a challenge at all, especially if maybe you've been doing this for a long time. Maybe your number is even higher, maybe 15 or 20%. For others, maybe 10% seems impossible, and you're going to evaluate, and you're going to pray, and you're going to find out that the number for you is maybe more like 3% or 5%. But whatever it is, the challenge is to be intentional, to decide in your heart what to give, and then to give it cheerfully. Well, I just wonder if you would commit to trying that, maybe even commit to through the rest of this year to being intentional about how you give back to the Lord and see if God isn't true to his word. Watch for the ways that he will bless you abundantly and provide for all of your needs. I I wanna finish today where we started with the story of Melchizedek. Because when we get to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, we find one of the other passages where Melchizedek is mentioned. And it's in in that book of Hebrews in chapter 5 where the author writes this about Jesus. He says, you, meaning Jesus, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. See, the number one reason for us to become an intentional giver is because what Melchizedek was to Abraham, Jesus is to us. And so much more. Jesus is the one who secured the blessing that matters most. He made it possible for us to find our way back to God. And like Melchizedek, there are some things about Jesus that are an absolute mystery to me. Things like, why in the world would he love a sinner like me? Why would Jesus endure the pain and the torture of the cross for sins that I committed? Why in the world would he continue to pursue me even when I stray from him? And while I can't answer those questions, the fact that Christ did that for me, that is the catalyst to make me want to give everything to him and to honor him with my finances, to give back to him intentionally so that others can find their way back to God too. And so I hope you'll join me in this. And I hope you'll take time, even this week, to decide in your heart what to give and then to give it cheerfully. Can I pray for us this morning? Father God, we we say to you this morning, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the difference that he has made in our lives, the hope that he has given us, Father, that this world is not the end. Lord, that there is a day coming when he will return and. And we will be with you in your presence forever. And, Father, we look forward to that day. We say, come, Lord Jesus. We are ready when you are. But we want to be faithful until that day. Faithful to bear fruit, Father. Faithful to steward the resources that you have trusted us with. And so I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters here that if your spirit is is pricking their heart, Father, calling them to, to something more, calling them to a kind of giving that is intentional, a kind of giving that has thought behind it, a kind of giving, Father, that that honors you for the long haul. Lord, would you give them boldness to move forward, uh, boldness to, to sit down and spend time in prayer with you, evaluating, Father, and then making a decision in their heart based off of that time of what will honor you with the finances you've given. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.